Welcome. On behalf of Jeremy, Alice, and myself, I'd like to welcome you to this uh, Ash Wednesday virtual service of First United Methodist Church. My name's Mitch. I'm the campus pastor for our Westside congregation, and it's my privilege and opportunity to uh, bring to you this Ash Wednesday service and message this morning. So, so this uh, starting point for Lent, this Ash Wednesday, the 40 days leading up to Easter, which is Lent. And if you would like to receive ashes um, on your hand, we're doing it on your hand this year through, virt- or through drive-through opportunities. So if you'd like to experience the imposition of ashes with us today, you have an opportunity this morning between 6.30 and 8.30 a.m. in the church parking lot off 92 Highway or in the parking lot of the Holiday Inn here in Kearney. And then again this evening in the church parking lot, 6.30, or 6:30 to 8.30 p.m., we will also uh, have that drive-through opportunity. So what is Ash Wednesday? Why do we mark ourselves with the sign of the cross and why do we use ashes? The ashes see are an outward sign of repentance, an interaction with God, a profession of guilt, an acknowledgement that we deserve punishment for our sins, but simultaneously accepting the salvation from that punishment offered by his mercy. Today we remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. This is one of the fundamental truths of Ash Wednesday. Not only do we confess our sins and repent before God, but we are also confronted with our own mortality. Abraham knew this. In Genesis, we read, Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, even though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Job used it too. Job 30, 19, he throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. And again, Job 42, 6, I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. The faithful children of God have long associated have a long association with ashes of repentance, a term meaning to turn away from. And today we do the same as we confess how we have missed the target that God has for our lives, and we mark ourselves with the sign of the cross, a symbol of Jesus's redeeming sacrifice. 
found it fitting that uh, on this Ash Wednesday, we're just a few weeks into this sermon series. Pastor Adam has started with a long story short. And we're going to continue that today with uh, discussing the topic of Exodus. The recorded history of how God delivered the Israelite people from slavery and oppression in Egypt and brought them out into a new life of freedom. See, the Israelites were going through some things. In this short, to shorten up this long story, uh, here are the highlights. The Israelite people left the land of Canaan and went into Egypt for relief from a famine. Several generations and 400 years later, they find themselves enslaved, an enslaved people and servants of Pharaoh, living and dying with no real hope of salvation. Now, their oral tradition told them of a promised land flowing with milk and honey that God promised Abraham. Their forefather Joseph reminded them of this with his dying words. 400 years earlier, we find them recorded in the end of Genesis. I am ready to die. God will most certainly pay you a visit and take you out of this land and back to the land he so solemnly promised Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob. So here enters Moses, the man God will use to fulfill his promise to his people. And here's the rapid fire story of our hero Moses. He was born at a time when the Israelite population was experiencing a massive boom in growth and uh, Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh was feeling threatened by this growing population of the enslaved Israelites. So, Pharaoh takes some action and orders um, all male children born to the Israelites to be thrown into the Nile, to be killed, um, to reduce the population. A little foreshadowing there from Pharaoh, of Pharaoh in this story. Moses' mother sets her baby afloat in a basket down the river because she could not um, put him to death. That baby, Moses, gets rescued by uh, Pharaoh's daughter and brought up in the house of Pharaoh in the palace, raised him as her own. He grows up with all the advantages and privileges and status um, associated with being a son of Pharaoh's daughter. And later on, he becomes, in his adult life or somewhere along the way, becomes aware that he is an Israelite. So one day with this new internal struggle Moses has, he's out and about and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite mercilessly and Moses jumps in and goes all rage monster and kills the slave master and disposes of the body hoping to not be found out. The next day he attempts to break up a fight between two Israelites, some infighting, and they quickly ask him, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses quickly realizes that his actions are known. The Israelites know, and soon the Egyptians will know, and he realizes he's a man without a country and he must flee Egypt. So we fast forward 40 years, Moses has been out of Egypt, And God is calling him back. God is calling him back to Egypt to set his people free. So our scripture for today, we're going to focus on Exodus 6, 2 through 8. We'll read God speaking to Moses. I am Yahweh. 
the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal myself, reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So here's God's plan for the Israelite people. He's sending a messenger, a representative, Moses, to tell them that they are his people. He loves them and he's going to save them from slavery. So if we break that down, first he tells them, um, he's talking to Moses and he's telling, he's telling Moses, I am the Lord, I reaffirm my covenants, and I will honor those covenants and I will deliver you into the promised land. He's telling Moses what he's going to do. And then he says in verse 6, he says, therefore. Anytime you're reading scripture and you come across the therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? So you read back before it, and he was, this is what he's telling Moses. Now that I've told you, now this is what you will tell the Israelites. So these are God's commands for Moses to tell the Israelites. Tell them, I will free you and rescue you. God will be, it will be a powerful and judicious rescue. And because of that freeing, rescuing, and powerful judicious acts you will witness, you will know that I am your God, and I will deliver you into the land that I promised Abraham. So the, here we are. This is God's plan. This is God's plan for Moses to share with the Israelites God's plan, and no one is on board with it. Moses has his doubts. Uh, Pharaoh's not having it. And of all people, the Israelites, they don't like the plan all too much either. See, they don't like being oppressed, but at least they know what they have in Egypt. They know what to expect. They have a routine. Slavery, harsh work conditions, service to Pharaoh, who, by the way, thinks he is a god, and then death. God's plan for their life and salvation requires faith. It required trust. It required perseverance and endurance. Conditions under Pharaoh would get worse before they would be set free. God's plan was going to be painful, and freedom, it didn't necessarily mean easy living. It was at best a complete unknown. Remember, for almost 430 years earlier, these was when these people last experienced freedom. In some ways, the freedom that God was promising may be scarier than the bleak existence they were experiencing in Egypt. So God is going to demonstrate his power to Pharaoh, but just as importantly, maybe more importantly, he's demonstrating his power for all of Israel. The Egyptians will suffer many plagues, 
and the Israelites will be spared. Remember, God said, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. So God did this through these plagues, a series of plagues, and God did it with, with boils, or sorry, with blood in the Nile, frogs across the land, gnats and flies, death to livestock, boils and hail, locusts and darkness, and of all those, the Israelites are spared. God is showing the Israelites, the Egyptians, and Pharaoh, who is really in charge. But Pharaoh would still not let the Israelites go, partially because God had hardened his heart. But that's another topic for another sermon. So for the final plague, for the final plague, for the last act before freedom, for the coup de grace, God required participation, a gesture of faith, a sacrifice on the part of the Israelites. They were instructed to choose a lamb, one for each family, and prepare it for a meal. And in doing so, they were to take some of the blood from the lamb and to spread it across the doorpost of their house, above the door. And God would pass over that house and not bring death to the firstborn of that house. So God... He's giving them instructions through Moses to take this action. And see, God has spared them from frogs and gnats and boils, disease and hail and darkness, and never needed them to identify themselves. See, God was saying, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. And here the Israelites, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. See, they now know the power of God. They believe in the redeeming power of God. They trust God, and they mark their homes as a sign of faith. And it was a sign over the door marked with that faith that saved them. See, the Spirit of the Lord came upon the land and brought death to the firstborn of every house, Every house in the land, including the house of Pharaoh, except for the houses with the sign. See, they believed. They responded with faithful obedience, and they were delivered into a freedom they had never before known. So here we are today, thousands of years later, we can identify with the Israelites. We can identify with the comfort of routine the allure of false gods. Maybe it's not a Pharaoh, but maybe it's political leaders, social ideals, or how about just worldly possessions or experiences as we've perceived them, you know, in comparison to um, our socioeconomical peers. You know, Bob Dylan wrote and sang about, you got to serve somebody. So what if we become ease, at ease in our complacency? What if we find comfort in the known? I think we all find comfort in the known. We might fear what God might ask of us, what commitment to God might require, what faithful obedience might actually mean. See, as Christians, we believe that Jesus, God made fully human, came into this world for everyone 
to redeem and deliver all those who believe. We read this in Romans chapter 10, verse 19 through 14. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Exodus teaches us that through God's mercy, the Israelites' children were saved by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Their faith and obedience, when paired with God's mercy, freed them from this lifetime of bondage. And the New Testament, it teaches us the same redeeming mercy is made available to everyone. Christ died on the cross as God's sacrificial lamb His blood spilled for the salvation of all God's children. Today we gather together under the doorframe marked Christian. We mark ourselves with ashes, the sign of the cross to remind us who God is and what his grace and mercy have saved us from. His redeeming blood has rescued us from our selfish worldly selves. It frees us from our guilt and shame and frees us to a hope-filled future, a life free of our past, an exciting journey becoming who God has made us to be. The Israelites didn't mark their doors because everything is futile, because death is certain. They marked their doors for the hope of deliverance, for the promise of a future. You see, it is the certainty of death that makes life so precious. And that's the theme of one of my favorite songs. I have this favorite singer-songwriter, Jason Isbell. And he, he is a great crafter of words and the way he puts songs together. I love it. And um, he's got this song that he writes. It's got a wonky title, but follow with me. Uh, the title's If We Were Vampires. But he... Um, it's a love song he'd written to his wife, and, the, and the, the theme of the love song is the preciousness about what little time they have together, and the fact that one of them will more than likely outlive the other, and that that is a ticking clock. And um, just one of the lines from the song that always sticks with me is just, maybe time running out is a gift. It makes us recognize our, um, the preciousness of time. He says, I'll work hard till the end of my shift and give you every second I can find and hope it isn't me who's left behind. See, time is that single greatest universal treasure that we all have some, we just don't know how much. So the question behind today's ashes is not whether you will die or what you will give up or do for Lent, Or how to improve yourself. The question is about your life before death. Christ has the power to free us from a past of guilt and shame. What do you want to do with your life of freedom? How do you want to live? Do you have life before death? 
Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are shielded from the consequences of sin by his grace. And therefore, God's judgment passes us over. Are you living life before death? Are you attempting, attempting to live a life worthy of Christ's sacrifice? This morning in, in, in this Ash Wednesday moment or today when you're listening to this service, um, it's tradition within Ash Wednesday that we pray a prayer, a congregational prayer together in our hearts and a prayer of confession. So would you pray this prayer of confession with me this morning? Oh God, when we pause and look back at our lives on this Ash Wednesday, we realize that we have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. We have neglected to do good when it was in our power to do so. We, like believers of old, have pulled down your altars and erected idols crafted in our own image. We have turned our backs on the poor, choosing instead to criminalize poverty. We have ignored the cries of the motherless, the fatherless, the widow and the widower, choosing instead to turn children and the elderly into the new poor. We have bankrupted the country with our greed and consumed more than our share of the world's riches. We have not dealt honorably with our enemies or our friends, and we have feigned a place in the company of the righteous. Forgive us, O God, for turning sackcloth and ashes into a fashion statement by pursuing form without substance. Forgive us, O God, for the time we have neglected to provide our children and our world an authentic example of Christianity. As we begin the journey of these 40 days, wash us, O God, and we shall be clean. Cleanse us, O Lord, and we shall be made whole. Amen.